0: Don't let the devil sell you short. Don't let the devil make you think that your life is, is nothing, can't be used, useless, perhaps. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have incredible potential. Matthew chapter number 13. We are continuing in a series that we began one week ago on the parables of Matthew chapter 13, and this evening we're going to be looking at uh, parable number 3 and 4, and it's found in verses 31, 32, and 33. Can you hear me now? Were you able to hear any of that, what I said previous? Yes, okay, all right, good. Boy, I don't know. These technical things, folks. Ah, well, that's all right. Let's, uh, let's look at this together. Follow along in your Bible as I read verses 31 to 33, Matthew chapter 13. Another parable, put he forth unto them. That, By the way, the them is the multitudes saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Let's now pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again we ask that you would have your Holy Spirit teach and apply your truth to our hearts. Thank you so very much for your precious word. We are so blessed to have the whole word of God and we can study it and compare it. Our Father God, we do pray that you would Help us. Keep us back from error and misinterpreting your word, making actually some silly mistakes. Help us to take into account who is doing the speaking and who is doing the listening and the times in which it was done. Help us to use the normal common sense method, the literal grammatical historical method of understanding the word of God. Help us not to spiritualize things, and try to force interpretations into the Scriptures. Father, we'll give you the thanks and the glory. Please have your Holy Spirit do the work in our hearts. We need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, folks, these uh, that I've read are the third and fourth parables given by the Lord Jesus dealing with a change in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, if you will remember... The Lord Jesus essentially came to the critical point in his ministry, presenting himself as Messiah and offering the kingdom. That's the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. He is the son of David, the seed of David. And God made this promise to David. It's called the Davidic covenant. And Christ was going to come and sit on the throne of David. And here was the Lord Jesus making the bona fide offer. Well, in chapter 12, as we saw, the nation rejected the Lord Jesus. And so the Lord right away started something new in his preaching ministry, and that was parables. And so he gave the first parable in chapter 13, verses 3 to 9, and it's what we call the parable of the sower. And the idea of it, the The teaching of it is the effect of the gospel in people's hearts. And we we saw that there were three bad effects or results and one good one. And then the second parable, which we dealt with on Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, in chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And this parable speaks of the infiltration of false brethren into the kingdom of heaven and which includes the church. The Lord Jesus in chapter 16 first mentions in Matthew. 16 first mentions the church. It's a big transition. It's a big change. I'm sure that Judas who had thought, oh boy, the kingdom, I'm get to be part of it, great. And then he started realizing That there's been a change. And the Lord Jesus is no longer preaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching about this church that he's going to build. And then the other things that come along with it. And this is how I think that Judas got disillusioned. Judas never was saved. He became disillusioned. And he sold out our Lord Jesus. Well, these two parables... Uh, deal then with the effect of the gospel in the hearts of people and the infiltration of false believers into the church. That's part of the kingdom these days. Now we get the third and the fourth parables. And it's the, uh, the mustard seed and the leaven. And these parables show how the kingdom of heaven will grow to be a great dominant force in the world. That's what these parables teach. Now, the key, I want you to get the key of this. Don't make a mistake. The key here, the first four parables were told to the multitudes. Now, you'll see that in verse 2. Look at it, please. Chapter 13, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. This isn't the, uh, the 12 disciples, per se, that he's teaching, although they were there. But he is giving these parables to the multitudes. Also, if you look please at verse number 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him. These first four parables were meant for the multitudes. Now, this is the crowd that just rejected Jesus. They just basically said, we'll not have this man reign over us. Now, if you look at verse 43, uh, Jesus said, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Here, uh, oh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry, I, I got a little ahead of myself. I'm thinking this sermon two or three pages down the road here. I'm, just, <laughs> I, I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Chapter 12, I apologize, this will make sense now. I've, I'm sorry, chapter 12, there we go, verse 43, uh, and when the unclean spirit has gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none, then he saith, I will return into my house from uh, whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation, Jesus said to the people that just rejected him. He said this on the heels of a miracle. He had just cast a demon out of a man and it was evident the demon was gone. The guy was normal. People were saying, is not this the son of David, the Messiah? They were saying, hey, this is the one we're looking for. And then, of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders, they rose up and said, no, no, no. This man casteth not out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And they were attributing Christ's power to Satan. Christ did all his power in the Holy Spirit. These were attributing that to Satan. This was the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. That Jesus spoke of. And so here they rejected Jesus. They rejected the kingdom. And it, they didn't get saved. These people didn't get saved. And now according to verses 43, 44, 45. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. It seems that now they were worse off. They were worse off for what they had done. And doesn't that make sense? When people hear the gospel and reject it. They harden their hearts. They're worse off, aren't they? And so, that was this crowd here. This same multitude that Jesus spoke the first uh, three, four parables to. He gave these four parables to this multitude. And I'm sure they were sitting there listening to him saying, what is he talking about? I, I understand these, these things, but what is the meaning? I don't get it. What's the meaning? I don't get it. The last three parables were given to the disciples. In this chapter, you have seven parables. And so, I want you to notice that these two parables, parable three and four, what I just read for you a moment ago, they were not given any further explanation by Jesus. The first parables were given further explanation by Jesus, but these were not give an explanation by Jesus, and you might wonder why. Well, if you look at verse 51, chapter 13, and verse number 51, uh, Jesus saith unto them, have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, yea, Lord. So apparently the disciples did have understanding. They didn't need any further explanation. They understood that the mustard Seed, what it meant, and the the leaven, and what it meant. Now, the first parable, the parable of the sower, the seed got wasted on three out of four places. And, of course, there are many um, false professions of faith that we can see from the first parable. A lot of people would be quick, perhaps, to, to pray the sinner's prayer or to accept Jesus, but they never really do. And their false professions. Then the second parable, the wheat and the tares. We see that there will be many false believers amongst true believers. This is the the tares amongst the wheat. And now in verses 31 and 32, we have the mustard seed. And the idea here is this tiny little seed gets sown in a field. And it grows and grows and becomes this large, large tree. Christ's kingdom was going to grow. But the emphasis here, and watch it carefully, the emphasis is on the results. It's not so much on the tiny mustard seed. It's not so much on the large tree that it it became. But the emphasis is on the results. What happened after it starts becoming a tree? And what happens is the birds of the air came and lodged in the branches. And Christianity has literally become, all over the world these days, a roosting place of every foul spirit, if you will, and false believer. There is unbelievable amounts of insanity going on under so-called Christianity. And some of it is absolutely twisted, absolutely perverted, absolutely wicked. There are so many men on the, uh, the TV and doing crusades only in it for the money. They're living lifestyles of multimillionaires. They're claiming some of the most insane, crazy things ever. And the charismatic movement is fueling a lot of this. I think also there's a general sense of, of um, rebellion in people's hearts worldwide. And this is playing a big part also in christianity today it has literally become a a roosting place you know in revelation chapter 18 and i'm just going to turn there now i want you to see another analogy here of these uh, birds and so on we saw birds in matthew 13 and in matthew 18 we're looking at babylon the great now these are not exactly the same babylon the great is not the same as as this mustard seed that grew into a, t- a tree, it's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, Babylon the great, they are not equal. They are not the same. That's not what I'm saying. But I am looking at the birds. At the birds. And in chapter 18 of Revelation, in verse 2, it says, uh, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That's a pretty horrible situation. And this seems to be the sort of thing we are seeing in Matthew 13 with all of these birds coming. Um, this, uh, this, what I'm telling you here, is, is not a, a, a lone soul interpretation by me. This is a a common belief amongst conservative Bible scholars. I know that there's a few different uh, interpretations of what this this could be. But uh, I'm I'm telling you what I believe it to be. That uh, this tiny seed sown into the field and it's to represent the kingdom of heaven and it grows up and all these birds, I mean the tree is polluted with the birds. There's no mention here of the tree and the fruit and all that. It's because the emphasis on, look what's happened. All of these birds have come and are are roosting, if you will. And we find a similar analogy with Babylon the Great. All of these birds came and, and dwelt there. And so we have today amongst Christianity, we've got all kinds of isms. We've got the JWs. And they're worldwide. We've got the Mormons. They're worldwide with all, and these, these are Christian cults because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They're denying the existence of hell. And they're, de, they're denying the, the personality of the Holy Spirit and cardinal beliefs like that. And yet they call themselves Christians. And it's like they're roosting in the tree. I mentioned also the charismatics. And the charismatics are, are trying to one upmanship. Uh, each other and they're getting wilder and wilder and wilder and of course we have those who are trying to uh, to change God's original design of human sexuality and these ones are also crowding in and taking over churches as well we have the new agers who are bringing all of their philosophy and their music and so on into the church and of course the rock and rollers and so on We've got a lot of worldly things going. And the kingdom of heaven, the idea is that the tiny, tiny seed became something great, which Christianity has become. Worldwide, for 2,000 years, it's, it's just gotten bigger and bigger. But look at it these days. And there's all kinds of insanity in there. And people are not content with the word of God and with preaching the hymns of God, or, or singing the hymns of God. They've got to get more worldly and more crazy, and that's what we have happening. This this church, so-called church, uh, hill song is worldwide, and they've turned their church into a circus. And in America, there's two very prominent hillside churches that uh, have been involved in carnality and all kinds of adultery and so on. And this is a common. There's a ton of this that happens behind the scenes that we never see. A good book that we have in our church library is um, by a guy who used to be involved with this uh, CCM music, Christian, contemporary Christian music. And he was up to his eyeballs in it, and he sang it, and he played it, and he preached it, and he defended it. And then one day he got reading the Bible. And he saw something in the Bible, and he thought, That's strange. That doesn't line up with what we're doing. And it intrigued him. And he studied the Bible. The more he studied the Bible, the more he realized that there was something wrong with his CCM music. Finally, he had to come out of it. And when he told his wife, his wife said, Oh, honey, I'm so glad. I never really felt comfortable with this stuff. And in his book, he exposed a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. Why I left Contemporary Christian Music. We've got that book in our our little bookstore here, if you're interested. I think every home ought to have a copy of it. Let's take a look now. Verse 31, shall we? Verse 31, another parable put he forth unto them, that's the multitude, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Now, who is that man and what is that field? Well, if we look at verse 37, And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. And so, it could be the Lord Jesus. I don't see why not. What is the field? Look at verse 38. The field is the world. And so, there again, we have similarity to the uh, parable of the sower. Uh, uh, However, the the thing is, we're, we're not told absolutely Because the disciples didn't need it. We don't need it. Because the emphasis is on what happened. The results. That's where we need to focus our attention. So we're not told these details. Because this is not the important part of the parable. And then verse 32. He said uh, concerning the, the mustard seed. Which indeed is the least of all seeds. Now the gospel When it went forth, after Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven, there were these little band of 11 apostles left and a few other believers. And from them, this tiny, tiny little beginning, the gospel has gone around the world. And there are so many people that have been saved over the last 2,000 years because of it. It truly has become so big. So verse 32, the mustard seed is the least of all, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree. And so we have this tremendous growth. And then he talks about the birds in verse 32. He says the birds all come. Now this is what Jesus is getting at. This is the reason why he's giving this parable. He's giving the parable showing that the kingdom of heaven through the preaching of the gospel is going to grow. It's going to start tiny, but it's going to grow and you can't stop it. All through the, the last 2,000 years, there have been powerful political, military figures that have tried to destroy Christianity. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Instead, it's grown and grown. The Roman Empire... Tried for the first 300 years to destroy Christianity. They couldn't do it. And finally, the Christians won. And Rome declared Christianity the legal state religion. And it grew and grew and grew. But along with that growth came all of the birds. All of the things that really you kind of don't want in the tree there. But this is what Jesus is getting at. And the unsaved multitudes would end up in the branches of the kingdom of heaven. And not really part of it, but sort of in the branches. Now, the fascinating thing for me, and maybe for you too, is how this tiny, tiny seed, if you've ever seen a a mustard seed, it is small. It is really small. And how that it can become something big. I'm reminded of a a miracle Jesus did in chapter 14 uh, of Matthew. The very next chapter where the Lord Jesus fed 5,000 men. Plus women, plus children with a little boy's lunch. How the Lord Jesus took something so small. A lunch that was sufficient for a little boy but not for a grown man, let alone a multitude of grown men and women. And how Jesus did his miracle. And when this little boy placed his little lunch into Jesus' hands, Jesus took it and blessed it, break it and divided it. And they fed 5,000 men plus women plus children. There could have easily been 10,000 people there that day. And then Jesus sent out the 12 disciples with 12 baskets and they picked up 12 basketful full of fragments. Imagine that. There are many today who deny that miracle plus many other miracles. Fooey on them. Who cares? We believe the Bible. Amen. Someone write amen. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 13 was saying that the gospel was going to start as this tiny little seed. And was going to become this incredibly big tree. And sure enough, that's exactly what has happened down through the years. God can take your life and my life. And God can do great and amazing things with it if we'll let him. Folks, listen to me. Listen to me. This is important. Look at me, please. This is important. Don't let the devil sell you short. Don't let the devil make you think that your life is is nothing, can't be used, useless perhaps. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have incredible potential. The combined power of the Trinity is waiting ready to pour His influence through your life. Some of the biggest miracles for the Lord down through the last couple thousand years, well, even more than that, have been done by the most unlikely of people who simply took their little and gave it to God. You'll find that over and over in the Bible. And God is still the same God today as He was back then. He is looking for Christians who will think big, who will start thinking God-sized miracles. Oh God, please give us this little penny. Give us this little nickel. Why do you want to pray that? When God owns all of the wealth in the world. God owns everything there is. Pray believing and pray big. That's important. The Lord Jesus made us the promise in Matthew 11, 24. And what things soever ye desire when ye pray... Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. So you learn to pray big. Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission, and a million people got saved, he said to attempt great things for God and ask great things from God. So you think big. That's very important. And we see that here, again, illustrated by the mustard seed. It's something so very tiny, but it can become so huge. Then in verse 33, he moves on with this parable of the leaven. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. The word leaven means uh, that which, which rises. And it's like yeast today for bread. They put in a little yeast and it helps make the dough rise up into big fluffy loaves. And leaven was uh, thought of as something, it's part of the fermentation process, but was thought of as something that makes bread rise. It was always used that way. The leaven back then, 2,000 years ago, because they didn't have yeast pellets, fleshman's yeast that you buy at the the grocery store. They didn't have that back then. What they would do is they would take some dough that went sour and they would save it and use that and they would put that in. That's their leaven. They would put that in the next lump and mix it all in there and that's what would make the dough to rise. They would use sourdough. That's how they would do it. Now this word leaven is used oh, around 86 times, give or take, in the Bible. And most of the time, the word leaven is used to reference the Passover, the days of unleavened bread. Uh, also, it's used to describe a principle of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul wrote about purging out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, the idea of getting rid of sin. Now, there are many good Bible scholars who believe that this parable uh, talks about the church becoming corrupt, but I don't think that's the case. I disagree. Now, the previous parable might speak of that. Someone might interpret the mustard seed, you know, when all of the birds and everything corrupting the church. They 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 might be able to get that idea out of there, but I don't think out of this one here. I don't think that's the idea. The idea is not that the church is going to become corrupt. Someone puts in, a lady puts a little leaven till the whole thing is leavened. And some people say, well, that means the principle of sin and the whole church becomes sinful. And I don't believe so. Uh, I see this parable teaching the ultimate triumph of Christ's kingdom. I think that is what Jesus is saying. It will ultimately triumph. Here's, I'll give you some reasons for it. Reason number one. If the leaven in verse 32 was evil. So if Jesus was saying that the church and the kingdom and all that was ultimately going to become evil. Then what Jesus did is he just called his own kingdom evil. And I don't think he did that. I don't think so at all. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever refer to his kingdom as evil. You find me a place where God refers to His kingdom as evil. It's not there. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is the disciples understood leaven to refer to normal bread. And so when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who uh, 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 took the leaven, hid it in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Look at chapter 16. Turn to the right. Chapter number 16, please. And verse number 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then, verse 6, Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. And so in chapter 13, that was chapter 16 I read you from, chapter 13, the disciples were thinking, Bread, thinking bread, and they said that they understood. If they hadn't have understood, the Lord would have known, He would have corrected them. Like in chapter 16, they didn't understand what He was saying, He corrected them. Here, they said they understood, He didn't correct them, because they understood right. And so the disciples understood leaven to refer to bread. Bread. The making of bread was a normal, normal, everyday process in Israel. Done hundreds of thousands of times. And so, um, it says three measures. You say, well, what could that be? Well, again, it would have been a common thing. His audience would have heard this and would have understood it as something very common. Now, the three measures, someone uh, has um, equaled a measure to a gallon, so possibly three-gallon size. Possibly it's talking about enough bread for the family for a day or for a couple of days. You can't read too much into that part. But reason number three is that we know that Christ's kingdom will eventually take over the entire world in the millennial kingdom. It's already huge now, but in the millennial kingdom, after the tribulation, It'll take over the entire world. That's what Isaiah chapter 11 is all about. Where the lion and the lamb lay down together. Those wonderful millennial kingdom conditions will come. And there will be peace flowing like a river. And people will swarm to come up to Jerusalem and to be taught of the Lord. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time to live. The millennial kingdom. And this is part of the kingdom of heaven. Reason number four is that it fits the context. It fits the context of what Jesus was saying to the multitudes who had just rejected him and rejected the kingdom. Parable number one, the sower. Three bad hearts to one good heart. Parable number two, the tares, the infiltration of false believers. Parable number three, the mustard seed. It's going to be big. By the way, my friend, are you part of God's kingdom? And parable number four, the leaven. And the the kingdom will eventually take over. And so you see this progression in these four parables. But you know, sadly, as I mentioned on Sunday, many will be left behind. If you look at chapter 7 again. And verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me. Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father. Which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then. Will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work. Iniquity. Any kind of Christian work done outside of Jesus Christ is iniquity in the eyes of God. When the unsaved start trying to do the works that saved people are called to do, for them it becomes iniquity. It's pretty sad But I think the day is coming quickly. There's a shaking going on. This COVID business has been shaking the world. I think a lot of churches are getting shaken. And there's a lot of unbelievers who are stopping their church attendance. Now, we're starting to see this in the states because they're reducing restrictions. They're going without masks. But what's happening in the churches? That's what you want to look for. What's happening? Some churches that used to have thousands or perhaps hundreds, what are they doing? What's happening now? Are they still churches of thousands? Maybe they, the churches of thousands have fallen to churches of hundreds. Maybe the churches that used to have hundreds are now fallen down to churches of fifties, of maybe. You see what I'm saying? That in a lot of churches, there's a lot of, I mean, true Bible-believing churches There's a a shaking going on, it seems. There's so many people that think they're going to heaven. Ah, listen. All we can do is beg and plead. Won't you? Won't you please, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, won't you come to Him today before it's too late? Back in 1873... Chicago was still digging its way out of the, the great Chicago fire of just two years previous. But they did something bold. They had a uh, big industrial fair. And uh, something interesting happened. Now, I got some pictures to show you. Are we ready with this? Uh, can I control it with this? All right, let's see what happens. There we are. This is... Um, an advertisement for the Grand Exposition, and it was in 1873 in Chicago. And remember that a third anyhow, 33% or something of Chicago had gone up in flames. And they built this amazing building. They were getting themselves back on their feet. And they had a Grand Exposition. And people got excited about this. They built this Phenomenal building. Uh, there we are. There's another uh, drawing of it, at least anyhow. And uh, off in the, uh, the distance there, you can see what is actually Lake Michigan, sort of off to the right. And this monster, huge, big building held a lot of different things, um, modern things back in, in the 1870s. Another picture here. Now there's an actual photograph taken of the building from another angle. And you can see Lake Michigan to the right. But this um, large, large building, it lasted about 20 years and I think they took it down. They put up another big monster building. Now there's a picture that shows you what the building looked like in a diagram looking down from the top. There's Lake Michigan at the top. Now notice in the center. Within the center, they had this central dome. And this is what I want to direct your attention to. Take another look here inside. This is what I want you to see. This is under that great central dome. And if you look carefully, what you're looking at in the very center of the picture is a fountain. And there was a large, gorgeous fountain. And tens of thousands of people were coming and visiting this large building for the the display. And at this fountain, two Christians met. One of them was a famous songwriter and his friend. And they were going to split up and explore the building. And the friend said to him, will you meet me at the fountain when you're done? Will you meet me at the fountain? And Philip Bliss heard his friend say those words, meet me at the fountain. And what he did was he wrote a, a gospel song. And the gospel song goes like this. Will you meet me at the fountain when I reach the glory land? Will you meet me at the fountain? Shall I clasp your friendly hand? Other friends will give you welcome. Other loving voices cheer. There will be music at the fountain. Will you, will you meet me there? And so that's how that hymn, that gospel hymn got started. Will you meet me at the fountain? You know... They say, up in heaven, there's a golden fountain. And the question is, will you meet me at the fountain? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Folks, we've been talking about these parables in Matthew chapter 13. We've come through four parables now. And we've seen how the sower sows and the results bad, 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 good. Then we saw how another farmer sowed his field and an enemy came and threw tares in there. Horrible tares. And we see the infiltration of unbelievers into the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, we see the, the mustard seed. How the kingdom of heaven grew large And got infested with all these birds. I mean very big. And then finally the leaven. Where the kingdom of heaven will take over the whole world. It is going to happen. But you won't be part of it if you're not saved. So will you meet me at the fountain? Let's pray together. Our heavenly father. We thank you for the scriptures tonight we thank you so very much for these parables and what Jesus taught us. We ask you, dear Father, that you would work in the hearts of all who watch or listen to this message or the series on the parables. Lord, I pray that if they're not saved, if there's any not saved, and I think that connected with our church, we have a few that are not yet born again. And Father God, I pray earnestly with all my heart Lord, open the eyes of their understanding that they may run to Jesus tonight. Amen. And Father, help us who are saved to be constantly praying for lost people, constantly doing everything we can, and that includes the sowing of seeds on Saturdays, coming and helping to put gospel literature in the mailboxes. Lord, help us to do even that. And we'll praise you with all our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.